Hey, Bellcurve listeners, Dan and I will be back next week with the next episode in the Dex series. But for now, wanted to recommend to you one of my favorite episodes of Lightspeed. This is the most recent one that they put out on the Super App, which is with Viscontes and Maddie from Z Prime Capital. They talk about a lot of stuff that we talk about during the roundup portion of this podcast. So they talk about moats. They talk about fat apps versus fat protocol layers. Super, super interesting discussion for investors and users of crypto alike. Hope you enjoy. We get so many of these pitches saying we are the super app. And I always tell them like the first rule of super app is you never call yourself a super app and you're not building a super app. You're building a product wedge from which you can expand into what might become a super app. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Lightspeed. Today, I'm joined by Maddie and Fisk from Z Prime Capital. When you think about a VC firm, you might think about like this office in Silicon Valley. I would say uh, Maddie and Fisk and Z Prime are probably the opposite of that. And as we get through this conversation, you'll learn why. I've been drawn to Maddie and Fisk really ever since you did an interview on Uncommon Core back in February 2021 with Suzu, RIP, and also Hasu. Um, the episode is so good, they actually released two in a row, so two different ones. Um, so guys, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, pumped to have you here. You don't do a lot of uh, podcasts. You are both prolific writers. Um, I would say you have very um, eccentric sometimes ideas, but very prescient ideas at the same time. And one of those was a piece that I think, Maddie, you may have led that was in 2021, which is the middleware thesis. But then again, recently, you've written a post that was called the dev to dev market that's related to that. And I, I would like if you could just kind of explain um, yeah, your thoughts and what you were conveying with that dev, dev to dev piece, because I think it was really interesting. Yeah, so I'd say that the thesis of, um, of dev to dev is, is is the fact that uh, everyone is kind of defaulting to selling picks and shovels and hiding behind, you know, my, um, sort of like a micro techno bubble, hiding behind buzzwords, um, not building towards the users. So it's like we have this, you know, dev to dev circle jerk um, that is, um, you know, trying to sell to each other. Um, uh, but, you know, the main question that we're asking is where are the users? And, um, that's why we kind of, I would say, are skeptical about all these dev to dev efforts. I'm not saying that we don't need infrastructure, but I, I think we need use cases much more. So it's not about how, but it's about what. I'd say that's that's the that's the uh, yeah the the main part of it. I would say. Yeah, is it is it fair to say like back in 2021 when you wrote that article? that you were maybe more, I hate the word bullish, but you were more bullish on the middleware infrastructure level then than you are now. I, I mean, one of the things you hear a lot about, you know, people talk about now is that we actually need applications people want to use. Is that what you're more looking to invest in because the infrastructure space is just saturated at this point? Yeah, I would say that, you know, like looking at the deal flow and looking at the activity, uh, I would say infrastructure dominates. And I would say it's it's kind of a... Um, it's in a in a way it's it's hedging right like it's uh, it's I would say it's easier to you know to to go through a techno bubble that that few understand um, than to actually go try to um, you know build a solution that has to speak for itself right um, uh, when I was writing about um, I think we 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 did write two middleware pieces um, uh, I I think the idea back then was like the infra is really 
is really weak, right? That we need those solutions. But you know, now we are sort of like overcompensating, I would say, and there's like too much infra and very little, very little use cases. Um, so um, that's where the I, I wouldn't say infra bearishness, but I would say um, it's it's more of like being bearish on the lack of creativity um, rather than infra per se. And infra just became like this purgatory that kind of everyone is defaulting to, and it's probably easy to pitch in the boardrooms and whatnot. The incentive is to kind of prolong your existence, and uh, you can do it very well by talking about the tech that uh, no one gets. Yeah, 100%. I thought it was really funny how you described um, B2B. That, that infrastructure is similar to B2B that we see SaaS and Web2 and how boomers love that. So uh, boomers are all in, uh, attracted to the infrastructure play. Um, Fisk, yeah, what are your thoughts on the concept? Um, well, uh, Nassim Taleb uh, had this uh, saying, or I'm not sure if it was his, but uh, I read it uh, from him. He was saying something like, it's much easier to macro bullshit than to micro bullshit, right? So it's much easier to bullshit people about big macro trends and uh, whatnot uh, than to go to a particular, uh, let's say, business or company and bullshit there because then the numbers need to be very precise and it's very easy to see if there is a product, if uh, if there is a business there. Um, so I would say uh, the sort of variation to this would be it's much easier to infra bullshit uh, than to consumer bullshit, right? So if you are building some complicated dev-to-dev uh, -dev infrastructure uh, for which you need uh, like uh, two years of development and a lot of biz dev to onboard some developers that might not even exist today, you can kind of get funding and uh, keep the ball rolling for some time. But if you are building consumer application, you kind of need to really like, if it's already out, if you are still not in like, a, let's say a development mode, there is very there is very easy way for you to show that you have traction or not, right? So it's much harder for you to bullshit if you are building for consumers because after some time you are measuring daily active users and if there is like 20 daily active users after six months of uh, your app being out and uh, you know no, mat no matter how many new buzzwords you invent, you are clearly failing, right? So uh, in this sense, uh, for I guess for some desperate uh, projects out there, uh, you know, pivoting to infra or building more infra is kind of a way to uh, keep the ball rolling without actually showing anything uh, substantial, right? Um, so I would say that this is something that's happening now with uh, some of the infra buzzwords that we are seeing, such as account abstraction and intents. I mean, these things are very important and we backed projects that uh, are building these things since before it was cool or building infrastructure for this, but we are seeing many more Me Too projects uh, ju uh, jumping on the wagon right now. And I would also say that it's not like, um, yeah, infra is definitely important. And uh, during DeFi summer, when everyone was like uh, chasing uh, some food coins and, and farms, uh, we saw that, okay, like these things are all the same. And uh to, in order to build cooler things, we need uh, better infrastructure. And uh, we kind of, it was not just like, oh, now we are bullish infrastructure because nobody else is bullish. We actually saw the need uh, for infrastructure to mature a bit more. But now it's the opposite. Like there is a lot of teams solving the infrastructure problem, um, even redundantly. But now we need to prove that blockchains are actually useful for end users 
in order to like earn a next stage of uh, blockchain evolution. So that's why we are we are not saying oh suddenly we are not bullish on middleware anymore. I mean we are still bullish on most of the projects that uh, uh, that are building real stuff and uh, uh, those that we invested in. But uh, we are not bullish on this bandwagoning that's happening right now. Um, and yeah, we are always trying to look where the ball is uh, going to be, not where it is now. And yeah, middleware is where the ball is now. So it's not as interesting anymore for us. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like a lot of the users in the space right now is like the dev to dev market explains is developers. It's not actual users who are using applications. It's a lot easier to build for the users that are in the space, which is developers instead of the users we hope to have, which are the ones using applications. Um, Fisk, you've been a big fan of the, I don't know if the app chain thesis is the right way to say it, but just like a focus on apps really, you know, at least since 2020, 2021. Um, and that's one reason you used to talk about, I think, uh, Polkadot caught your eye because that is something that they were focusing on more or less. And then I think it was in 2021, you, Z Prime wrote a piece called The Fappening, which I think is a great name. Um, I'd love for you to talk a bit maybe about that piece, but also just your view on the fat app thesis. Um, yeah, going forward. Um, I mean, it's, when you look at uh, like how Web2 companies are structured when it comes to their value capture or how big they are, like most of the biggest companies are kind of touching the end user. Um, I guess like maybe some infrastructure services like Amazon Web Services is the exception, but everything else, uh, Facebook or Meta, Google, uh, Apple, they are all like touching the end user, right? So it's kind of like for everyone who is kind of thinking about where the value will be captured or uh, how the value will be distributed in uh, in the tech stack. It's like, super obvious to see that uh, where users are being like captured and when they are spending most of their attention and time, uh, that's the easiest uh, point of value capture for a project. So I would say that, uh, I mean, it's not super hard to figure it out, right? But when you look at crypto, you kind of feel that crypto like stack is a bit different in a sense that there are all these like uh, blockchain, like layer ones that capture a lot of value. There is a lot of complicated middleware uh, that may capture some value. There are a lot of tokens for things that uh, in a like Web2 equivalent, they wouldn't really have a token. Um, so now like some people may be thinking that, okay, so now we enter the new paradigm where most of the value will be captured on the um, on the infrastructure side, and then there will be like one big infrastructure layer, and on top of it will be many more uh, applications or like small projects that will compete for user. But um, I would say that, in a sense, it will be similar to what Web two is uh, is proliferating with uh, with like new projects. Um, that uh, any new project that want to compete, you cannot just fork Facebook code and like. Uh, vampire attack Facebook, right? It's much harder than that. You can do it in crypto to an extent, but over time we, we saw that all these uh, incentives and tokens that kind of uh, were able to capture some users temporarily, you know, it doesn't really work for a long term. For long term, you need to build like sustainable sticky app. Um, we don't really have like a big super app right now at this point that would really like uh, demonstrate that this thesis is correct. We have a couple of applications that are kind of pointing towards the direction, but I would say that in near future, there will be a couple of really big applications um, that will like break through the mold and really show us the strength of uh, like end user being captured and uh, value being provided for him. We are not there yet, I would say.
it was funny when Fisk was talking about the AWS. So I, I think I gave this example in um in um in the Dev to Dev article where it it this is how sort of like the Dev to Dev is connected to the happening. Um, so Amazon was this like user facing, I mean bookstore or I mean at the time probably like like a store for everything almost. Um, so it was it was doing commerce. But, you know, it had this internal project that was kind of about optimizing info, right? And 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 so this is how the AWS was built, right? It's, it was for their internal purposes because they knew what they want, right? Like they were not the first selling or having this kind of service. And there were other people selling the service. I think IBM was like probably the first. Um, but it was actually them who realized that, I mean, we use it for ourselves, but hey, what if we sell this stuff? Um, so it was the uh, user-facing, consumer-facing um, application, if you will, that 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 managed to conquer that stack downstream, right? So it's, um, um, it's an interesting and provocative example. And, um, you know, like, uh, for example, if you look at Steppen, so their token got pretty popular. And it was it was like, I think it was doing the most volumes on Orca. So so what they did is essentially forked Orca and created their their own decks, right? So uh, I mean, if you control the user, why should you give something to some other um, middleware component, if you can, you know, get the fees yourself? So I guess, I mean, we probably see this with, with Uniswap as well, trying to build a wallet, trying to build everything. You know, everyone is trying to build a super app. Uh, even, you know, we get so many of these like pitches, people saying, oh, you know, we are the super app. And, you know, I'm, I, I always tell them like the first rule of super app is you never call yourself a super app and you're not building a super app. Like this is nonsense, right? You're, you're building a product wedge from which you can expand in, into into um you know what would my what might become a super app um so yeah i guess that there is a possibility of you know once you own the user that you're in a better position to monetize and to um sort of own the stack um i'm not saying that everything has to be necessarily kind of centralized by you know the the app but um i guess there might be that tendency so uh now for example my question is um when you see, um, you know, many of the projects in the space being very kind of reactionary, almost thinking that, oh, um, you know, me just being here and surviving long enough uh, will be enough. So I just have to participate uh, to to win. Um, so they're just like very static and just waiting for the bull market to come, like, you know, like some kind of a random act of God or whatever. Um and there's no like urge to build towards the user. So I'm thinking, all right, if I'm a DEX, can I just go and I and can I build a consumer facing product that just leverages DEX as a part of its stack? Like, can I build out of um, DEX towards the user? Um, you know, like Stepan did it the other way around. But are are there any sort of ideas? Are there any possible attempts? You know, go in that direction. So. Um, yeah, I would say that um, these are the kind of like the the main tenets of the of the you know Fed app thesis. Um, so I mean, it's more like a hypothesis, right? But um, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, we do feel like there's a um, you know if you capture users, you're in a you're really in a good position to to monetize uh, um, down downstream. Yeah, those are really good questions. I know as you talk about the the app thesis, one thing you talk about is moats. And like you said, in crypto, you can fork anything you can easily have. It's like low switching costs. So one of the things you put in the article is that you think any application trying to become a super app or that has a chance of one, something that they'll do is probably become a block builder. And I'm curious if you can explain that a little bit more. And then another moat that you mentioned is that 
these apps, because everyone has access to all the, all the data, because it's on an open data layer, whether it's Ethereum or something else, you need to add in a new like identifier that's not on the blockchain itself, potentially to create these modes. So uh, maybe Matt or your Fisk, if you could just go into how these applications you think will actually establish these modes to become an aggregator in a sense. Yeah, so on the on the Blockbearder side of things, I, I've probably changed my mind since then. Um, I do believe that, you know, like 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 building blocks still depends largely on order flow and you know where our order flows are originating, you know, it's it's at the consumer layer. So it's I think it's gonna be very hard to build it um sort of uh bottom up in a sense, like from the you know, sort of from the depth of the mempool. In terms of moats, um yeah, that's tough. I guess I guess a good token could be a moat, right? Because if you, I mean, it sounds stupid, but I have this like thesis that the token is the product, but it's um, it's kind of a lengthy one. But um, if you, you know, like just just look at Bitcoin, like that is a like a you know, it's a piece of code that anyone can fork, right? Like we know it, but you know, the strength it's in the legacy and you know the the community, if you will, that it's attached to it, right? So that is not forkable. So um, and it's the token that that becomes the moat. Then so I guess it's about building a brand, right? Bitcoin is a brand. Um, I mean, Ethereum is a brand, and I I strongly believe that you know, like like you know, each block space is a and good. Like, there's a plenty of block space to go around, but people for some reason choose choose Ethereum. So um, it's mostly brand, right? Um, that's why I would say that uh, you know all this modular debate, and whatnot. It's probably re- redundant. It could be that. Um, ETH is Nike and Soul is Adidas potentially, right? So it's uh, all about a bra- uh, brand or tribe preference, if you will. So um, I do think that, um, you know, this brand buy-in uh, could be the moat, right? Like uh, there's nothing fundamental that is um, uh, that is uh, better about Coke than about, you know, your local uh, hipster um, Coca-Cola equivalent, but it's just, uh, you know, it's not global and people are not buying it. So I guess brand could be the strongest mode that you know you can deliver but there's like there's no there's no process there's no recipe for for how to create a brand right so um i guess there's always a question of 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 switching costs so people people i mean people are trading on uniswap i don't know is it the best dex um people are using uh, metamask um is it the best wallet it's very hard to switch sometimes so i guess if you're in a position where you already have users and 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 it's growing you always can make it hard to you know um uh, for people to switch um so i guess this is potentially where the mod come uh, comes as well and then in terms of in terms of you know execution downstream like this block building game can can provide like like better execution and whatnot then then i guess you can also compete on prices but i guess competing on prices is always is always difficult right it's like this this race to the bottom that you know texas are uh centralized exchanges are facing and dexes will face too so it's um yeah, I guess it's tough. So I, I, I lean towards towards the brand thing. And I do believe that, you know, like we're more in commerce than we realize. So I believe that tokens are potentially a commercial product there that, that people are buying. And, and um, yeah, so I guess that is, you know, one hypothesis, I would say. Yeah, I think brand's super important. And Fisk, I'm curious to see what you think on this too. I don't, I don't know if this is you, Fisk, or just like in some of the writings I've read it, it. I think at the time it sounded like, and this is a debate, is block space commoditizable? Which I think at this point, like the answer has kind of been shown as no, which is tied to brand. For example, like I think rollups like Eclipse, which is an SVM general purpose L2, is going to Ethereum is where it's going to settle. And that's because that's where the price insensitive users are and also where the, a lot of interesting state and tokens are. So in that sense, it's like it's not commoditizable. And the other thing with app chains is that that's still a thesis dydx i think they're about to launch they haven't launched on their cosmos app chain already but i think there is a little bit of a narrative shift in that 
maybe we do not need you know, 10,000 app chains, maybe you'll, and this is Eclipse, you know, they're thinking that, oh, we tried to do this, we tried to offer a rollups as a service, but really like there's probably going to be a power law outcome where there are benefits of composability and also economic um, improvements from being on the same chain. So Fisk, I'm curious how you think about this. Um, yeah, well, with regards to app chain theses, um, like I think that my opinion is kind of still the same or uh, unchanged since last time I spoke about it um, years ago because it's, I mean, we are still so early. We we who are in crypto, we think that because we are in crypto for like, I don't know, four, five, six, seven years, we have seen so much development and uh, so much adoption. So now like uh, over the lifespan, we already seen like how this technology is maturing. And now we we have, I think that many of us have this feeling that oh, now it's already like uh, some sort of uh, developed stage of blockchains. And now what we see now is like the final stage or close to the final stage. I would say that this is an illusion. Like crypto still has like thousands of users, maybe tens of thousands. I mean, of course, there are many people holding crypto somewhere on Binance or Coinbase, but there are not really that many users actually doing stuff on chain, like individual people. There is a lot of capital controlled by a couple of people, but there is not enough like end users to actually prove or disprove any of these theses we are discussing for a couple of years. So I would say that what we see now is still like insignificant. Like I, I think that the, the important point um, will be when uh, crypto starts or like blockchains and uh, the block space starts serving um, I don't know, like 100 million users or 200 or or 1 billion users. At that point, I think it will be very easy to say which uh, which architecture or like uh, blockchain structure or which blockchain thesis is correct and which was disproven. But at this point, I think the jury is still out. Um, it's true that now app chain thesis of like Polkadot and Cosmos is kind of being replaced by rollups uh, or rollup thesis or rollup chains or rollups as a service or whatever. I mean, it's it's still the same thing. The the architecture, the structure is almost the same. It just now we call it rollups, and it's on Ethereum. So, uh, it maxes are more comfortable to uh, to entertain this thesis as well, right? Um, so, I I would say the jury is still out. I definitely agree that, I mean, it doesn't make sense for me to have, or I, I don't see a future where we have like some people say ten tens of thousands or thousands of uh, rollups, and every little bullshit will have its own rollup. Even if it is super easy to spin a new rollup technically, I think the uh, this like other friction uh, and uh, the switching cost for users and the, the cost of infrastructure that needs to uh, come together to enable smooth bridging and everything else, it will just be like too high to, to justify. So I agree with you that it probably will be some sort of a power law. I don't necessarily think it will be like a power law of three huge winners and then like long tail, I think it can be a bit more distributed, but I don't think it will be thousands or ten, tens of thousands. Um, with regards to DYDX, well, you asked about modes. Like I would say one of the biggest mode, uh, modes that a project can have is to own not only the end user, but also the underlying layer one, you know, the uh, the block producing layer, which, uh, which would be an app chain, right? And uh, if you own the... Uh, let's say the front end or the end user, and then you own the the blockchain infrastructure. Of course, you can use all kinds of middleware uh, enablers in the middle, 
but you own, I think, the, the two biggest, most critical pieces where the value can be captured and then your life is super easy if you can do that. Of course, you will restrict your composability, but there are many uh, projects which actually don't mind um, restricting the composability, like, I don't know, even from gaming or even like uh, derivatives, like DYDX. And I would also say that some of them can even benefit from a bit less composability because uh, like unlimited composability creates like, I would say almost unlimited attack surface. And uh, the benefits of unlimited composability are not as high as potential risks if there are like many different things that can go wrong uh, with stuff that someone will permissionlessly build on top of you. So I would say that it's still plausible that we will see a future where many things are kind of siloed. And we can also see it in a, within Ethereum DeFi ecosystem where everybody was, during DeFi summer, everybody was hailing uh, DeFi Legos, or oh, sorry, Legos, how everything will come together, you know, everybody will build, build a little piece and then they will be connected in this uh, very nice Lego castle and everything will be amazing together. And now we are seeing that most of the surviving DeFi projects are kind of, instead of just being happily, uh, Lego pieces connected together, they are trying to compete with each other by integrating vertically or horizontally building additional services themselves, even though this already exists, like, I don't know, like Uniswap is trying to do wallet and NFT trading. Um, uh, good example of this is Frax, where they are trying to do LSDs and uh, and stable coins and everything themselves, Curve and Aave as well, you know, like exchange and a lending protocol now building their own stable coins, trying to compete uh, in, with Maker in stablecoin space, Maker uh, forking Aave protocol, you know, to what was the name of the pro protocol that they are? New, new uh, chains? <laughs> yeah, something like that. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, everybody is trying to do everything at this point because they realize that, you know, they are not actually building Lego pieces. Uh, they are building their own little empires and they want to expand their borders as fast as possible before uh, they are saturated, right? So, um, so yeah, I, I guess jury is still out. The only exception, or there are a couple, but the biggest exception to this thesis is still Solana with its monolithic structure. But even there, like they will need to work really hard to um, to maintain the the performance of the chain if there are so many different things being built built on it that will compete for block space. And of course, they have uh, parallelization and uh, other tools to kind of deal with that. But I would say that, uh, I mean, there is this thing called Jevon's Paradox. Uh, feel free to Google it. I, I, I'm not good at explaining it very well, but uh, it basically says something like, uh, the, more you the more you enable like new activity uh, with scaling the infrastructure, uh, the activity will scale with it and will like always capture the free space that you, that you enabled or created. Right? Yeah, gains so, in efficiency lead to increased consumption, basically. Yeah, thank you, Academic Yeah, yeah. it's it's oh, yeah. funny because I wrote this. I I actually Fisk inspired me to to write one thing that I never published, and I probably never even like got him to read it. Actually, it was is on Blockspace at, at large, and you know Jevons Products was 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 part of it. But um, I think that uh, when Fisk said that you know the jury is still out there, I I I very much agree with that. I'm not sure about app chains, but. I don't think we have like really found a product market fit for Blockspace because Blockspace is ultimately 
the product, right? That that blockchains are selling, and um, um, and I and I and I really believe that at the moment, um, block space is is very much you know I said a Veblen good, so 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 it's a luxury, and um, because like who has you know so much money to spend on transaction on ETH, right? Like it's it's a, even you know in a, in a, in a day when it's it's not really spiking, it's still pretty expensive. Um, anyways, you know there were inventions that started out as luxury and and, and became like a really like a I would say social scalability um, um, differentiators, like like mechanical clock, right? Like it it started as a as a as a you know like very luxurious thing in the 14th century, where it was very expensive to produce and maintain, um, and you know it it took you know the pendulum clock a couple of centuries later to to kind of like uh, have this uh, timekeeping you know in a more scalable way. The same for automobile, right? It was for it was it was very like luxurious product electricity the same same thing right so it it wasn't it it wasn't thought of as a scalable thing that could become like game changer for society and i do feel like like block space is still at that space uh, at at that point where it's you know like we don't really see the product market fit fully we are running cool experiments um but yeah i guess you know imagine that there's an app that leverages block space that has suddenly goes to like 10 million daily active users um i don't know like if 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 stable coins you know have that probably not right like in in proper real user count right like probably not so if there's a application that achieves it uh it's probably dwarfing everything that has happened so far in the space um so you know is it going to be pocketed per chain i don't know like i don't see many you know new projects being built there but it's definitely not going to be Cosmos. <laughs> I'm joking. At that point, the uh, that application can can choose right whether they will go with uh, you know an app chain and what I like. For example, on near like there's not people not many people discussing near, but we talked to a couple of teams that, for example, have chosen near purely for the technological reasons. Like they're not like part of the community or anything like that. They're just leveraging its its tech essentially. Um, um, I, I'm I'm not saying whether they're good or bad, but they're you know there there is activity. It's a little bit different to what is being built on on ETH, um, maybe more more similar to Solana. But um, yeah, so the point is, if there's an app that can like go from zero to 10 million in, 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 in a couple of months, then I guess um, things can change rapidly. I, I don't see anything like that surfacing, but um, it's, it's usually slowly and then suddenly. Yeah, there's a there's a lot there. And those are really good points. Like we haven't really found product market fit. I do think it's we had Antonio from DYDX on, which is one of the few products in crypto that you could maybe has a semblance of product market fit. They have about 50% of on-chain derivatives. Um, but even Antonio is like, we really don't have PMF. That's why we're willing to go for an app chain and like take this big risk. But what is interesting, Fisk, is you talked about there's like almost a gravity for these DeFi applications to horizontally integrate and add new functions. Uh, DYDX is actually doing the opposite. I know Antonio talked about he used to think that they had to offer everything that an exchange did, but he's like, actually... We need to be really good at one thing right now, which is perpetuals. And so he's actually drawn that back and that's what they're going to focus on. So it'll be interesting. It seems like a lot of products are doing that, a lot of projects, because they just haven't found users in one thing. So they're like, okay, what else can we build? Maybe we'll find users there. Um, and maybe the, the last thing I'd say about like the app chain, the long, the long tail of app chains, I, I'm trying to start this meme that it's like the long tail of app chains is pretty much just a database with a Web3 marketing budget. I think one last point I'd like to touch on this like app chain infrastructure piece before we move on is just what you think about Uniswap's uh, recent announcement that Uniswap Labs in the front end is going to start charging 15 basis points on swaps. Uh, and some people are a little upset about this because you have Uniswap Labs, which built Uniswap Protocol, but they kind of like spun off and now they're in control of the front end, which any front end can interact with 
the Uniswap backend. And then they also have the Uniswap wallet. So that's really controlled by labs, not the foundation, because there's been this big debate, like, do we turn on a fee switch? Like, do token holders vote to turn on a fee switch at the protocol level? But this is actually a fee switch at the front end level. So it doesn't, none of that revenue goes to the token itself. I'm curious, like, what you think about that move? And is this like a tension we're going to see pop up in crypto where you have the protocol underneath and then the front end built by the team that's kind of spun out? And now they're almost in, like in competition with each other. Um, I don't actually see it as such a big conflict as many other people see it. I would say that, I mean, maybe it's because like a bit cynically, I don't even see Uniswap as some decentralized protocol controlled by users or token holders or whatever. I think that's, that's kind of, I mean, they don't even, I, I don't even think that they want to uh, portray it this way anymore, uh, maybe on the surface, but like nobody is really kidding themselves that Uniswap is super decentralized. So I would just say that this is like in, I, I see it as another, just another internal decision of a centralized uh, business and maybe an experiment, which is interesting. And I think it's much less impactful that, uh, that people think like people are cutting much more slack to other projects that are doing much worse stuff. Uh, charging for all kinds of bullshit and uh, Uniswap actually provided a lot of uh, a lot of value to the to the whole ecosystem and like uh, it's one of the most important projects and I would say it's it's fine that they are trying to charge some money for something new and let's see how market reacts I'm I'm all about experimenting rather than talking and doing some what ifs um I don't hold any uni tokens I don't feel as even if I was holding them I don't feel entitled to the revenue um I mean, it is what it is. Everybody who holds Unitoken in 2023 needs to know that this is not like a fee sharing or revenue sharing asset, right? At this point, and won't be in foreseeable future. So I don't know why everybody is so upset and mad and surprised or whatever, um, especially given the fact that there are aggregators that are probably making orders of magnitude more money on, on fees and, uh, and like slippages and all kinds of stuff. Uh, uh, connecting to Uniswap, then uh, then Uniswap will make uh, on uh, charging for its uh, official front end, right? I don't know. Like I just feel it; it's overblown and it's a little experiment with uh, with uh, another way to capture value. Let's see how it goes. But it shows like the the first principle conflict of you know having two different sets of uh, stakeholders, right? Like uh, equity and token, right? Like that's a that could be a pretty dangerous game there. Yeah, but there are many more projects that are that have this problem. Yeah, it's actually exactly. true that we, we see it in practice here, um, and it's interesting. But yeah, this is something that actually can set some precedent for other projects in the future if it's successful. Or so that's why maybe it's interesting to see. But I mean, token was given given out for free. This was not a token that was uh, uh, sold to investors via some ICO or or some some sale, right? So in this case. You know, you got airdrop some token, you could buy it on open market, but nobody promised revenues. It would be a bit different if they really had like a token around where they would sell tokens uh, aside from equity to some group of investors. I think that would be a bit different, but I don't see a huge problem with this. Although, yeah, principally it is a problem. If you have token and equity and all kinds of foundations and other entities around, like how do you divide the pie? How do you cut it? Uh, where do you capture the value? Yeah, it's interesting to see. Yeah, I guess it's you don't see many many teams working on like you know accruing or baking more value into the token, right? It's a it's not a very popular thing to do, especially not if you're in the U.S. 
So, um, but yeah, maybe maybe more people should try that <laughs> rather than um, yeah, kind of retreating. But yeah, it's easy to say then. I guess one other thing is that Uniswap is such a clear market leader at this point in its category that they can afford to try these random things, how to capture value. Like many other projects are in like a uphill battle sort of stage where they fight for market share or they try to define and capture new markets and they cannot really like think that hard about additional ways to capture value, right? So Uniswap is in a bit of a pole position that they have some leeway to, to try it now. Even though I'm not sure if the timing in like depths of bear market is the best for it, but maybe yes, maybe because there are not many people now that would complain apart from some hardcore community loudmouths. Maybe it's cheaper to experiment now than in bull market where every mistake can be much more costly. I don't know. I would just leave it to them and just watch them try stuff in the arena. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, I, I don't know about the timing either. I do think it's interesting just as an experiment. Like you said, they're the market leader in the space and you can see how this actually affects the transaction flow. And the cool thing about crypto is we can actually watch this and like see it live and we can see how much money is getting shifted around if, if it impacts anybody. Let's shift over to social um, because Maddie, I know you've written quite a bit about this. Fisk, I know you also tweet about like friend tech. Um, Maddie, you talked about how when you started diving into social and how crypto can play a role, you discovered basically more and more how social is becoming a social media. Um, so I'm curious if you can explain that concept and then also, but like from there, so how does crypto play a role in this like a social media future? Yeah, I guess the uh, <laughs> the uh, social media, it's uh, is, is kind of a complex thing, but it's 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 essentially about like, you know, the, the human element kind of, evaporating uh more and more and um <laughs> people doing things to optimize for the outcomes rather than you know just doing things that um um you know they want to whereas i mean fisk was arguing that like twitter in its early days was much more boring than it is today and fair fair point that's that's true right so it's like we're optimizing for the spectacle and that is that it's kind of a you know as social element or maybe you know parasocial at best um and and how crypto plays into it it's it's um it's maybe a bit dystopian thesis but i guess that you know like um you know the hyper monetization or hyper financialization could be doubling down of this like live streaming of mass delusion you know where you know gdp and inflation and token going up or down is the main spectacle right a 24/7 casino where you gamble on the outcome of things the same way everyone could become like a media channel and everyone could you know like in crypto everyone could become a stakeholder of a of a given product or or, or an idea so you know the 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 thrill of you know watching numbers go up and down like becomes the product right like that's the new new addiction so tokenization is a is potentially a path of least resistance for more dopamine extraction so um um, yeah, and then in a way that, you know, the numbers in the digital world could become more important than the physical goods that they represent. So um, it's um, it's much cheaper to produce uh, dopamine in the world of bits. Um, and I guess um, speculation is, is one way to get there. But I mean, I, I do hope that, you know, we can go beyond that. And it's and it's not going to only, you know, sort of remain in that um, gambling phase where you can potentially go to uh, things like um, you know tokenizing culture, tokenizing brands, uh, that type of thing. I mean, it's it's very abstract, and I'm and I'm and I'm yet to see a sort of viable um, commercial uh, success or like a 
a hint of success or something where 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 you'd be like all right like you know like this really makes sense as in like without tokens we wouldn't be able to get this experience like tokens actually are great ux for this right because like tokens are friction that's what people say um in terms of like products right but what if we can have a product where you know tokens facilitating better ux um and um yeah i guess this is this is where the ideation is to take place and this is where the next big thing is coming from my opinion is um is one of these like idiosyncratic attempts you know people are talking about transition from um from uh, user-generated content to user-generated products uh right i think like multicoin put out that thesis it's very interesting um and i think that for example these days like we see something similar happening in in side decentralized science so like vita dao and harry dao are sort of like you know goal aligned communities that are like fueled by tokens and you know the goal is the this 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 edgy scientific this discovery and it's and it's very much social right so there's a um there's a product right uh, a, a real product there's a community there's a there's a common goal so um and there's a brand element to it so i guess this this could be like the first instance of of social slash slash commerce i mean it's it's very early so it's very hard to say but you know, at least they're trying something new and trying to find sort of new utility for tokens. Yeah, I, I think I think the future of social is really interesting. I think Fisk, I don't know if you said this, but I, I'd like to hear your comments on it. It's like the interesting thing with FriendTech is you buy shares into say like an influencer's profile and then you get access to a group chat, but there's not, on, no on-chain enforcement for that um, influencer or person to actually participate in there. And it's like, that's almost shown that status is more valuable than utility in some ways with social and crypto in general. And now I think about it as well as like, if you think about like RWA is the future of that. And there, there's people talking about like, okay, well you can't actually enforce all this on chain and maybe that's not a problem. So I'm just curious how you think about this, like friend tech status versus utility concept. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a loaded question, but in general, social fi or whatever, um, web three social, we were always excited about this, like kind of infra layer stuff, uh, with like, uh, uh, ZK identities and, uh, owning your, uh, social graph, you know, all these things that are kind of cool for nerds, but it turns out that people actually care about like financialization more or speculation, uh, in social context. So I would say right now, I would like to see something like I'm able to, I'm in a group with someone and I'm able to trustlessly bet, uh, against the other person about some like defined outcome on some sport or some election result or something like that, or I can follow someone's trades automatically and, uh, you know, like, I mean, trade trading following is kind of, is not very interesting to me, but if there is an influencer that's doing a lot of like analysis and trading and stuff, like I should be able to at least kind of, you know, like on chain following their, their uh, recommendation and actions, I, I should be able to do it more easily, uh, within the app. Maybe I should be able to send money to someone very easily within the app, right? Like tip someone or or pay them for something and it's not it's not possible in current uh, uh social fi meta or, or friend tech or anything so there are so many things that, that you could improve even even the simple like uh customization of your of of the price of your paid group or like uh, uh or this like uh friend tech group or the way how the curve is uh 
design so you can actually make it more exclusive to only a couple of people and then it gets prohibitively expensive or you want to have like a big group with many fans when the price is more stable and it's not prohibitive even when you have 200 members all these things like everybody can imagine them um, but i would say that now everybody is so focused on just farming points and uh, then there are some other competitors trying different things then the experience is really diluted um, at the same time like i I think it's still super early. Like everything that is being tested in crypto is tested on the same group of lab rats, which are all these uh, crypto degens and crypto natives. And I would say like, I don't know how to, how to put it. Uh, it's a stupid analogy, I guess. But when you have a, a scientific laboratory with a lot of rats and you are using the same rats for every experiment, I would say these rats are no longer giving you the same results as you would get if you always use the new batch of rats that are fresh and that that, that uh, are not like uh, ridden by all kinds of uh, previous chemicals that you used on them. So I think it's kind of similar with, with crypto users and testing all the products that we are building on the same target group of users, which are like crypto Twitter, right? Like everybody is already so spoiled by airdrops and so shaken by the market and like so used to bad UX in many cases that even when you want to like test some new product, you kind of need to, you know that the first group of people you will attract will usually be the crypto natives and they have their specific uh, way of thinking already and they have their own like biases and they want to make uh, money on airdrops. So you are trying to um, appease them instead of actually building cool product for another 10 million users, which I, I don't know how to solve this problem, but I think it's a big problem that every crypto app, even the more ambitious ones that eventually want to scale to tens of millions of users, they always start with this first starting pack of uh, testing users, which are airdrop hunting uh, crypto Twitter regions. I, I, I'd say that we need to break this mold as well in order to move somewhere else and not be stuck in this uh, circle jerk loop we are in now in crypto. I, I just want to go back to what Garrett asks about, like uh, asked about status and utility, right? He said status or utility, but I think that's the wrong framing. It's a false dichotomy. I think status is utility, right? Like status is access, um, even in like a physical world, right? Like in a, um, so, so I, you know, like people talk about token gated, but I think more token enabled. <laughs> that's, that's in my opinion, a better framing. And you look at these like, uh, frantic shares and whatnot and social tokens and and people talk about real world assets that's a real real pet peeve of mine but um what makes assets real it's in terms of finance um, the only fundamental thing is the flow of money because because people are willing to spend money on a sugar water that is probably mostly net negative to their health the stock and the value of the company selling it is real right so um uh, I, you know, I, I do feel like, uh, we can, um, uh, the same way people are buying, uh, a gimmick product, they could buy, um, someone else's shares and whatnot. And, and, and whatever utility is attached to it, that's, that remains to be, to be seen, but it's, you know, like many of the consumer products are just basically a a, um, um, a product of an illusion, right? Like they're only selling expectation of something, or or of looking like something, or 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 feeling like something, or looking like someone, right? That's potentially there. So um, uh, the same things uh, could uh, happen with with tokens and social tokens, where you're 
essentially selling just a you know a feeling of something an access if you will fundamentally it doesn't have to be that different to the physical goods that we're buying that fundamentally do nothing right so <laughs> yeah I, lo- I love that point i agree it's not an or it's an and it's like especially as you get older i think you realize that almost everything you do in life or, or buy or participate in has status attached to it even like if you're running a marathon, you might be doing it for your health, but there's also a huge status component and also community, right? Like a lot of people do it just to meet friends. And I think that also is going to apply to crypto. And Fisk, I loved, uh, we don't need the next billion users in crypto. We need new rats. So uh, it's a good, good, good framing, but I actually, I, I love that analogy. I have one last question that I know, I think both of you uh, more or less disagreed on this concept, but Maddie, I found it really interesting. And it's something that I um, relate to and also um, see happening. And you describe it as with crypto, there's this maybe false narrative in that equal opportunity or increased access to opportunity can actually lead to a greater disparity in outcomes, um, not more equal outcomes. And I'd like for you to maybe talk about that thesis and how it's related to you know the internet with leverage and networks and there's a power law that comes through with it. And then Fisk, I'd love to see if uh, how you feel about that as well. Oh, it's a, it's a tough one, uh, a sensitive one as well. Um, yeah. Um, I think like there's not that much to be, to be said about that one. I, it's just, um, yeah, I think internet is a leverage, um, because everything that you do, it's kind of comes with, uh, like this, um, you know, sort of huge 10 X hundred X effect for you. Um, so it's, 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 it's very easy to always get stuck on that next, uh, dopamine shot that's, uh, you know, coming from the screen. Um, but you can also sort of like take control and 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 do productive stuff on the internet like like learn right like um uh get into crypto and then make it uh, to uh, you know become a millionaire and then lose it <laughs> everything in the in the bear market but i guess it's everything comes with like bigger consequences online so um so it 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 gives everyone the same opportunity but not everyone is 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 making the same choice right so it's not that someone else is better or not but you know it could be a lot could be you know many different things but i just feel like um it can it can really take you under or it can really enable you to 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 flourish so um and everyone has the same opportunity to click on the same um resource right to educate themselves about something or to build something or you know be creative in a in a positive way or they can do the other thing right just fall down the false rabbit hole let's say and just spend your life um yeah digging into places where uh, there's never anything positive coming out of it so i guess in that sense it's it's not really an equalization machine but it's uh yeah it just creates uh, bigger bigger differences between people because be, because even small small actions can have uh, great and vast consequences real fast so yeah in that sense um in my opinion um it's uh yeah it's it's not about uh, more quality but probably uh, the other thing but uh, at the end of the day we <laughs> it's very hard to secure equality of outcome and i don't know if that's that's uh, desirable right um um i guess it really depends on where you're coming from but uh in my opinion the um um the uh um uh yeah to everyone should have the same opportunity but we cannot guarantee the, the same outcome for everyone 
Yeah, I, I just have to throw in there, Fisk, real quick, is that I feel like that side of it shouldn't be controversial. It's like there's definitely going to be different outcomes just because of the effort you put into it or how lucky someone got or like the skills that they were born with or worked for. Um, but the real like gist of it and what crypto can hopefully solve is equal access to opportunity, which we know doesn't exist today. And I think that's something we're all striving for. But I think the concept of just because you have, you know, equal access to opportunity does not is not equivalent to equal access and outcome. And I read this statement yesterday, um, which is a little bit of a hyperbole, but it's saying like, your job's not going to be taken away by AI. <laughs> your job's going to be taken away by the person next to you who's now 10 times more productive because of AI. So it's just like who can leverage the tools the best. Um, but yeah, Fisk, I'd love to hear your take. Yeah, I mean, in this regard, crypto is not different than internet or maybe AI or any other like uh, technology that, um, that appeared and enabled some new things, right? Um, like, of course, it will create new billionaires and already did very fast and a kind of these people are like uh they hit the escape velocity and will be very hard for others to catch them so in a sense this like material inequality is uh is present but this was happening with internet as well i would say in one way at least crypto is kind of greater equalizer than um than other technologies is that even with with the web 2 or internet you still need to have a bank account to hold your money that you made somehow um you need you still had to like hold your money in some stable unit of uh unit of value or something like that uh, or some investment or you at least like or or at best you could be in silicon valley and like uh build new new startups there in, in order to get capital and, and to be able to um, to create a business that is actually like meaningful and uh, can scale, right? So I think crypto kind of makes, or at least in, in the recent past, it made it much easier. Capital formation was much easier. Holding value like in stable coins or whatever was much easier, even for someone who never uh, could uh, have a bank account or bank account in a in a Western world where the, the money are reasonably safe for, for this person to, to not be worried about it. So in this sense, crypto helped a lot. Like I can be 14 year old Pakistani kid and I can be hacking smart contracts and stuff. And, uh, uh, I don't have any other prerequisite. I don't have to travel to Silicon Valley. I mean, it obviously still helps, but I don't have to do it. Uh, in the past, I, no matter how smart I was, I couldn't just like do anything from my Pakistani village um, and and like uh, capture the the money that that I somehow made and, and like hold on to them, right? So there's it's, one thing. It's... And I Sorry? I think you should have just said that the like crypto is 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 a greater equalizer than um, uh, Web two because it's at the end is making everyone equally poor. Well, I guess. Yeah, and that was my last point, actually, like many people who make money super fast in crypto actually also like, especially if they become the main character, they lose them as well. So there is much less of a chance to like, sustainably capture the, the value there, because the market moves so fast, if you are not talking about some sort of regulatory mode that you are uh, aiming for, or something like that, it's still much easier to disrupt you as a crypto project than it is uh, as a Web2 or some other type of business. So at least in this regard, you know, it's much easier to fork, even though we saw that forking and vampire attacking and all these things, they are not really as successful as people uh, anticipated, but it's still much more possible than 
how can you vampire attack Facebook, right? Uh, you cannot, but you can vampire attack many, uh, on fork and vampire attack many of the crypto projects. And I said in the recent past, because I would say that as we approach maturity, like many, many crypto projects will try to build regulatory modes and uh, other modes around them to prevent that, maybe even closed source their, uh, their code base. We see many projects building in closed source instead of open source. So yeah, it will be a mixed bag, but at least until recently, crypto was, I think, more equalizing and it allowed a lot of uh, mobility between like, uh, um, uh, let's say, income brackets or at least uh, like the net asset value brackets, but it moved in both directions and it was very fast. It was not just like, I just captured the world once and now just create this one regulatory mode and it's mine forever. I still need to like fight for it or, I mean, withdraw money and buy some, buy some, uh, expensive real estate somewhere, but then I'm not in the game anymore and someone else is building something better than me anyway. So, yeah, but I, I think this is like very philosophical debate and no matter what kind of conclusion we reach, uh, it's, it will be imperfect and it doesn't, you know, no matter what we believe, reality of uh, technological innovation and, and uh, digital disruption moves on uh, its own way. <laughs> 100% agree. Um, okay. I, I kind of lied. One quick question. You can just kind of do a rapid fire before we close out. One of the things I really like about you and Z Prime is you're willing to take very bold bets. And some of those seem wild, like, you know, HairDAO or Fisk. You used to talk about Olympus DAO a lot and why you found that interesting. And like some people would look at that. And if that's the only tweet they saw of you, they'd be like, I'm going to, I'm not going to follow this guy anymore. Like he was completely wrong. Right. But then you have other takes that are extremely prescient that are extremely right. And it's like as an investor or just, you know, in any field in the space, you have to take those bold bets. And if you don't, yeah, you can be right 90% of the time, but like the outcome doesn't matter, right? Like expected value is probability times outcome. And like a lot of people just try to get that probability to be 99%, but they don't care about the outcome. And I think you guys focus on the outcome and like what's around the corner. And I think people need to, <laughs> I'm going to suggest people to follow you and like read all the pieces on Z Prime because it's really um, well written. Because like when you read somebody's book or their articles, if you agree with everything they say, and you don't think anything's kind of, you know, bold out there, a crazy prediction, then there's no point in reading it because you're not learning anything new. And Maddie and Fisk, I can promise that if you read their articles, um, you will learn something new. You don't have to agree with all of it. But I think that's one reason why they're such a great follow. So just to, to close that off, maybe Maddie Fisk, what is something that you think people should be paying attention to right now, or maybe learning about in the space that could be a sector, it could be, you know, if you want to say DeFi, NFTs, whatever it might be, like, what is interesting you that, you know, maybe other people can read about and, and get through during this uh, bear market? Hmm, I'm actually thinking, um, well, there is like so many things that I feel like it's too obvious to say, then it really matters just like, what kind of things you are into as a person? What, what do you understand? Like, if you are a competitive esports gamer obviously gaming will be for you and not some new uh option protocol right but uh i think it's more individual than than just like even even me like i suddenly realized that on many z prime calls with uh with founders or or projects uh that uh are pitching to us sometimes it's just like not something they understand and i'm just like patiently waiting for uh, for other team members to ask the right questions because i know that they understand it much better so yeah like crypto is too big to pay attention to everything and it's much better to find your niche but if it's something that escapes all kinds of uh, uh brackets or like categories and it's intriguing enough i think that's, that's definitely worth paying attention to um one uh 
yeah like, i'm not sure if i can if i can say it but like there are some there are many i would say like anything that kind of brings together um passionate group of people who are not dominantly crypto natives but they have a problem that financialization uh thanks to crypto can uh can help solve like good example is the hair dial thing where you have these people that are balding and they really care about it and they don't see any uh any solutions coming from uh mainstream uh pharma and medical research and they suddenly realize oh we can actually uh, uh form around form a community around this token around this uh uh like uh tokenized ip that we can uh we can gather and harness uh value from and we can actually be the ones like propelling it like passionate community that cares about something else than just making money or farming yield uh and the passionate community that would benefit from the tools or or opportunities that crypto with its capital formation with its like uh, uh tokenization can help with anything like that and yeah i i guess it's it's actually much harder than it sounds like finding really community that's really passionate about something else than making money in crypto is very hard even most of the diehard crypto communities today that you can see and you would be like oh these people are really fanatical about this project when you really dig deeper into it you realize that these people are actually not as fanatical about this particular project as they are fanatical about like making it and like making a a hundred eggs with their back and they just for one reason or another have bias towards this back against any other back but that's very different than being actually passionate about the thing and uh the token pumping or whatever is just some sort of side effect of that yeah no fisk i think that's a it's a great answer i, I haven't talked about this in a while but i think like when you're looking for an opportunity and a community that you're talking about, like an example that was, it's pretty good is CrossFit, right? Like that community just absolutely blew up. But for most people, they tried it and they kind of gave up. And I think about this in crypto some ways, like you have to be really into crypto and into the tech and being a DJ. And that's kind of like what CrossFit was. And if I was smart enough or if anybody, you know, anybody else would have seen that and they're like, okay, this is working with CrossFit. How do we make this like a little bit more accessible? Maybe not as extreme. And you saw things like Orange Theory pop up, um, a lot of it, like F45, different workout classes. And it really became, they kind of took away some of the like, hey, you got to climb this rope and then, you know, throw this barbell over your head 20 times. But they saw that that like community is like really passionate and you can probably expand that out. So I think that plays off what you're saying, Fix. So really like the answer. Maddie, you got anything for us? Well, people people could complain and, and potentially sometimes they think that you know our articles could be too abstract but you know i i feel like i'm not in the business of giving advice um and i and i i actually don't want to give advice to people and you know advice and prescriptions because i think it it will eventually just lead them astray so uh, you know what i what we try to do is provide an idea that people could modify play with it make it their own uh build up on top of it um so I mean, I don't have any advice aside of maybe um, don't seek advice, don't seek prescription, <laughs> like find your own way in this. And uh, um, yeah, I guess that's the only that's the only good thing that I can think of. Yeah, don't take advice is good advice, probably. But uh, yeah, I agree. Just reading the articles is not that you have to like take it one for one. It's like what ideas is that spark in in your mind? Um, so, anyways, Maddie Fist, thanks so much for joining us. Like this. To me, has been one of my favorite podcasts. Um, really enjoy C Prime. For anyone that doesn't know them, definitely recommend following on Twitter. I'll put links in the show notes. But more than anything, go back and read some of their articles. They're really fascinating and pretty forward-looking. So, guys, thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks, Garrett. Have a good one. Sweet. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>